You're in the WOR Sports Zone. Mets Spring Training Report. All right, welcome back here in the Sports Zone, and we go down to Port St. Lucie. Uh, Tim Healy, covering the Mets for Newsday, uh, joins us right now. And great to have you on the show again, Tim. How you doing, Dad? Excellent, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Did I sneak that by you? Got a little dad that? in there. I got a little dad in there. We're going to keep that going. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or at least I am. Go ahead. I didn't catch it, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, how about, you know, Syndergaard today? I mean, he strikes out seven consecutive nationals. But what I thought was really interesting, though, is that we explained after the game, Kevin Plawecki gave him a good old kick in the butt. Uh, what, um, you know, what, what do you notice when Syndergaard, you know, steps it up to that, that next level in a game like today? Yeah, well, he was, you know, struggling early. I think four out of his first seven batters reached base, and so Ploiecki went out there and basically told him to get his act together. Uh, that's not quite the way Syndergaard phrased it, and Ploiecki uh, clarified that the vulgarities, let's say, that uh, Syndergaard used uh, was not the word Ploiecki used, but the point being to uh, to focus, to go after guys. Uh, don't dilly-dally around and, you know, uh, it, I guess be a little more direct. And Pulwecki and Syndergaard seem to have a very good relationship, which you need for a pitcher and a catcher to to be able to uh, speak openly and directly with each other. So it seems like that was certainly a a turning point for Syndergaard today because he he then struck out seven in a row, which Pulwecki didn't even realize. Yeah, I mean, fantastic. And not just, you know, random spring training guys. Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon on nine pitches in one inning. Uh, That's stupid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's... uh, that's something you don't see very often, especially against that quality of hitter, those three in particular. Yeah, and I understand, you know, it's March 8th, and they always say the pitcher's ahead of the hitters, but, uh, you know, impressive from Syndergaard. But I thought impressive from Kevin Ploiecki as well. And, you know, we haven't seen Travis Darno that kind of side of his personality, at least not publicly, to, to snap a pitcher to attention on the mound. And, you know, Plowecki is really impressive at the end of last year. What do you hear about, you know, that battle behind the plate? And, you know, can Plowecki end up being the guy that sees the majority of playing time behind the plate for the Mets? Uh, that's definitely not impossible. I mean, it's going to be largely a timeshare with perhaps Darno getting uh, the majority of the starts, you know, maybe three out of five, but it, it's very much a uh, fluid situation. Uh, the hiccup for both of them has been being able to hit well consistently, and we saw that a little bit from each from both of them at the end of the last season. Flewecki said today that he feels like he picked up right where he left off as far as uh, feeling comfortable at the plate. So, you know, he, he doubled today. You know, every time you put one in the gap, makes you feel good at the end of the day. So we'll see come regular season which of those guys is hitting better. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the difference maker in terms of who gets the majority of the start. You think it'll be offensive even with a, a pitching coach now as the manager and, you know, the focus on getting the starting rotation right? No, I mean, the, the catching duty, I don't mean to discount that hard, mm-hmm. definitely important, especially because, you know, it's, it's probably reasonable to say that the Mets season hinges on this pitching staff's ability to live up to its potential. Uh, but I, it, from just from watching from where I watch from the press box, it, it's hard to tell which of Darno or Ploiecki is necessarily better at handling this pitcher or that pitcher or the staff overall. 
and that's and that could be a tough thing, uh, you know, to see. And it, it, you know, usually we kind of go by, you know, what the manager says about things, or something like Noah Syndergaard said today, where you really, you know, could see the impact that a catcher is having in a given game. As we chat with uh, Tim Healy covering the Mets for Newsday, uh, Jarris Familia going through a, a dead arm period. Much concern there. What are you hearing about Familia? Yeah, he said he's experienced some tightness, and he, he got lit up today, five runs and an inning and a third, but. You know, the first question was wasn't so much of a question as it was a you know a, hey you didn't have a good game and Familia sort of laughed and smiled and you know he he didn't seem too caught up in it at all and I think that uh, he had been very good in three out of his last four outings before today and he said he felt some tightness which is normal for this time of year for him as his body gets used to throwing every day again so uh, I'll, I'll chalk that up to just a you know a random March game. I wouldn't have much concern there at all, at least not yet. We'll see what happens the next couple times out for him. Yeah, and that reaction is sometimes telling, that the familiar is able to, to laugh it off, which you could do in spring training, not necessarily in the regular yeah. season. But you know, for someone like Steven Matz, he hasn't been laughing off the rough appearances that he has had. It's a pivotal start for him tomorrow. What, uh, you know, what, what should everyone be looking for out of Matz? effectiveness, I think. You're right that there's a difference between Familia's reaction and Matt's reaction. I think part of that is because Matt is playing for a job. Familia knows he's a closer. He knows what he can be as a major league closer. Uh, But Matt, on the other hand, is still very much trying to establish himself uh, as a consistently effective major league starter. And we're not, it's not clear that he'll even get that chance this year, Uh, you know, or at least to open the year. The Mets haven't decided on a fifth starter, so every time Wheeler goes, every time Matz goes, every time Lugo and Gazelman pitch, it's going to be a battle. It's, you know, Matz wasn't good his last time out. He wasn't good either of his first two games. I think it's ten runs and an inning and two-thirds or something along those lines. And uh, It's important for him to show something as far as effectiveness goes if he wants to open the year in the majors. Yeah, and, and how much in doubt do you think that is now? How would you stack up the competition for those five you know rotation spots? We know at least three of them are pretty well filled. Yeah, three of them are well filled with the Grom, Cindergard, and Vargas. And I'm comfortable penciling in Harvey, given yeah. that he has had both an unimpressive and uneventful spring training so far, which to me leaves four guys for one spot. That's Wheeler, Matt. Lugo and Gazelman, and I guess you could throw Montero in there, but he, he's not really uh, in the picture to, as far as I can tell and as far as I'm concerned for the fifth starter spot right now. But like I said, you know, every time one of those four guys pitches, it's going to be, oh, where does it, what does this mean for the rotation competition? Where do things stand? Which guys might open the year in the bullpen as, as multi and in relievers? Which guys might go to AAA? to be starting depth, uh, it's still very much undecided for the for the last spot there. We had Seth Lugo on the show earlier, and he seems to be maybe as open as anybody in this competition to either being in the rotation or be in the bullpen. How much do you think that attitude will benefit him as he you know competes against some guys that I'm sure aren't crazy about going to the pen? Absolutely. Dave Island told me the other day that when it comes to deciding – which starters to try as relievers, some guys can't or won't buy into that idea. 
So that Lugo not only has done both, but is willing to do both and has expressed that to you, expressed that to uh, reporters in the clubhouse, that can go a long way in terms of, you know, even just uh, earning good, you know, uh, brownie points with the coaches, that willingness to do whatever it takes, which is a cliche, of course, and it's kind of boring to hear, but in Lugo's case, it very much seems to be the case. seems yeah. to be genuine. Yeah, it does. And we're talking again with Tim Healy of Newsday. Uh, one thing I always find interesting is when you have someone like you who's got some fresh eyes on the Mets. You come over after uh, being the beat reporter for the Miami Marlins, and uh, Joel Sherman wrote, a column yesterday in the New York Post about Ioannis Cespedes and how he goes about things in different ways and antics and is it a positive or a negative and some you know former managers uh, wrote they would have you know pulled him off the field for how he acted in a certain drill. When you you know come in fresh eyes with the Mets, what jumps out to you about you know Cespedes and the way he goes about his business on a, a daily basis? Uh, well, he's definitely a little bit of a goofball. Likes to have fun. Um, he, he is, you know, in a clubhouse as a reporter, there are the level of approachableness, let's say, of a given player. There's a, there's a, it varies a lot. Yeah. And Cespedes, who uses an interpreter, um, isn't very high in terms of approachableness. Um, so I haven't talked to him a bunch yet, but just in terms of, the way he carries himself, the way he interacts with his teammates, he's definitely a guy who likes to have fun. Now, I don't think that necessarily takes away from his ability to do his job, and I haven't seen it really uh, rub off on any teammates in a negative way. So I'm not sure if his antics or, or habits or the way he carries himself is a negative. I probably wouldn't go that far. Um, but it's it's definitely different, and it's definitely um, you know something that sticks out for better or for worse. Is there anything like that in Miami? I mean, you had stars down there with Giancarlo Stanton and uh, and others that is remotely comparable, and how that team might have dealt with this or that. Um, one guy who sticks out from last year's team is D. Gordon, who's another guy. You know, he's created now center fielder for the Mariners, but he, he likes to have fun. He likes to goof around with his teammates and, um, you know, uh, fight pranks perhaps. But uh, when it comes down to it, I think it's true for Cespedes and in D. Gordon's case that, you know, when it's time to work, they're going to get their work done. Uh, it doesn't really seem to affect anything that's going on on the field between the lines during actual games. And that's a big key, obviously, uh, in all of this. Tim Healy of Newsday. I uh, love having you on again, Tim. Thanks so much. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Tim Healy uh, covering the New York Mets uh, on a daily basis for Newsday. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I think of you know, the story yesterday and, and Cespedes. We've seen plenty of him over the years and how he uh, fits into this Mets team. Uh, we take some calls as well. 800-321-0710 to get involved. 800-321-0710. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez on his spring training thus far, which has not been pretty, but maybe moving in the right direction now. Uh, and then we'll have uh, Mark Gastineau at 8.05. Very emotional interview um, that we conducted a couple of days ago. We'll air it for the first time tonight. And, um, you know, again, it, it, it's something I think uh, you really want to stick around for. Uh, it's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. It's the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on 710 WOR. 
So you may have seen this, uh, but yesterday Joel Sherman of the New York Post uh, wrote a column about Ioannis Cespedes. Are his quote-unquote antics disruptive uh, or, or problematic for the New York Mets? And we know Cespedes marches to the beat of his own drum. Uh, we, we just talked to Tim Healy. He's a guy who's going to... You know, joke around with his teammates, have some fun. You know, Joel describes his spring training drill where, you know, they're taking, you know, fly balls, uh, out, out in left field and he decides, Cespedes decides, hey, I'm going to lie down on the grass and then go after the fly ball to make it a little more challenging to read it and stick with it. Does it have any baseball benefit? I don't know. Uh, it makes it a little more challenging and, you know, is it the end of the world? Is he dropping, you know, a ton of fly balls? Maybe a World Series one or two. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it's uh, it's not a big problem for him. And what's interesting, though, is other players started doing it. And clearly, Cespedes, people follow his lead. He's the highest paid player on the team based on a per-season basis. Uh, and even if he's not a leader by words, he's certainly going to be a leader by example for better or for worse for that team. I mean, I do think that uh, he is certainly influential uh, on this Mets team, but the idea of him being a, a problem for the Mets, we've talked about Cespedes and effort level and, and sometimes, uh, you know, he's never, he's rarely a guy that busts it a hundred percent, but do you need Johannes Cespedes busting it a hundred percent? when he doesn't have to with the the leg injuries that he has had over the years. I don't need him diving around in the outfield. I, I don't need him playing like a guy that doesn't have a whole lot of talent and is just trying to hang on. It's Cespedes can play a little different. Just as I thought, you know, Robinson Cano with the Yankees, and I didn't watch him every day like I get an opportunity to watch Cespedes, but sometimes a little too much is made. If he's not hustling and he gets beat out by a step and a play at first base, that's something I can see you getting ticked off about. Uh, with Cespedes, you don't really see that. He will bust it when it's a big spot, when he feels that he can run out an infield hit. And, and you see that from Cespedes. I, I would say the, the most problematic thing that we see from Cespedes on a regular basis is he won't run to first base on a strike three in the dirt. He'll just give it up and walk back to the dugout. It's something you see all too often in the league now. That's something I would love to see him change. I'd, I'd love to see that adjust. And I don't need him flying to first base with his hair on fire. Just draw the throw. Make the catcher make the throw over there to first base. Take five steps. I'm not asking much. But just make that aspect of it happen because it's so glaring when it occurs and he gives up the at-bat and the, the out without that even tiny little bit of extra effort. And you start seeing other players do that. That would be the one thing that I would point to. But I also think, you know, it brings up a larger issue. And baseball is a sport where it's not, it's not all Americans. It's people from around the world, right? Coming together, different cultures, uh, to, to play a game. And, you know, one thing that the World Baseball Classic, for example, has certainly opened my eyes to is how different the game is played around the world. Japan, the game of baseball means something vastly different than it does here, than it does in the Dominican, than it does in Cuba. And for Cespedes, you know, coming from Cuba, the game is played differently there. You watch that Cuban team play in the World Baseball Classic, uh, they play angry 
often. But they also, there's a joy, there's an emotion that is a part of the game on a day-in, day-out basis. And I think that's part of what, you know, you see from Ioannis Cespedes and, you know, a lot of, um, you know, players certainly from the Dominican Republic, they all play a looser brand of baseball and and you see it in that tournament and, and then it makes more sense i think when you see it in major league baseball that you know they're not changing that much and the game here is much more stuffy and rigid and there's certain unwritten rules that you have to follow and you know you're not supposed to pimp a home run after you hit it these are all the kind of culture wars i guess that and and walls that are coming down that you end up talking about uh, year in, year out. But, you know, for Cespedes, you'd think you're, we're past this kind of thing. We we're going to talk about his antics and this being a problem and that being a problem. And I told you, the one thing that I look at that I see as problematic with him is not running to first base. But otherwise, you don't see him dog it much. Uh, you won't see him, you know, go 100% hair on fire. He's not going to be that kind of guy. And he can't be that kind of guy with the leg injuries that, that he has had. And I, I think, you know, that's the way you got to view Cespedes. And obviously, you know, from a talent standpoint, he's immense. He's as important as anybody for this Mets team this season. They have to find a way to keep him on the field for 130 plus games. You'd hope more than that. Uh, if they're going to be able to make some kind of run here, yeah, keep him out there and keep him healthy. Uh, so, you know, for, for Cespedes, you know, let him be who he is. And, you know, when you have to draw the line at some point, you know, Mickey Callaway have to determine what that line is going to be. Um, but to me, you know, lying down during a spring training drill, uh, some of the things you read in the story, I, I just, I don't buy into it. I don't think it's problematic. You know, a couple of former managers say they would have taken him out of the drill or you know, they would have worked, you know, made him work on his own so he doesn't influence the other players. And guess what? That's why these guys are former managers. And that's why the managers you see getting hired, whether it's, you know, Mickey Calloway or Aaron Boone, they're young guys. They're guys without experience. The only dinosaur manager hired this offseason was Ron Gardenhire. And the game's changed a lot over the years and how the players are dealt with. And I don't think it's for the worse. I don't. So, you know, some of the, the stuff, you know, he's got his hat backwards. Come on. Really, we're still fighting these kinds of, of battles. And and I understand the question being worth asking as far as, you know, writing the column and stuff, uh, if you're asking it as a question. But uh, I don't think Cespedes is a problem uh, for the New York Mets. 800-321-0710. You want to chime in on that? We'll take some calls. Again, 800-321-0710. Uh, Aaron Judge says he will not take part in the home run derby. Is that problematic for uh, baseball as a whole? Uh, and again, our interview with Mark Gastineau, the Jets legend, coming up at 8.05. Uh, you certainly won't want to miss that. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. All right, 800-321-0710. Lot to talk about. Uh, we chat about Cespedes a little bit. Noah Syndergaard striking out seven straight Nationals today. Had an immaculate inning. Nine pitches, nine strikes. Striking out Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, and Anthony Rendon. It's pretty good. I'll take that in the regular season. 800-321-0710. Let's go to Mac in Jersey. How are we doing tonight, Mac? How are you doing, Pete? An interesting discussion, and a lot of it's been online today with, with different fans, too, about Cespedes. I just wanted to say this about how much I love the flair all the Latin players have uh, since I was a kid. 
you know, Roberto Clemente with the basket catch and Juan Marichal with the high kick and uh, Ray Ordonez when he was with the Mets. I love it. However, sometimes that emotion can get the guy in trouble. You know, sometimes, like Alomar spinning, Marichal, you know, hitting Rose Burrow. So we love the we love the flair. You have to manage it a little bit. I know I used to live near St. Louis, and they loved the Latin players out there. When Cepeda went out there and, and Joaquin Andujar, you know, of course, um, Buck, he spoke Spanish, you know, the announcer. So they had a lot oh, of okay. fun with it. You know, so it's you know it's, it's it's great to have. It's not a negative, but you got to manage it a little well, bit. It goes for everybody with those situations. Much, you know. If you're getting if you're getting angry and um, you know uh, you, you reach that point, we see it with pitchers. And it doesn't have to be a Latin pitcher for someone to lose their mind and start throwing at hitters and after they you know have a rough outing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that goes for for anybody. Interpreters showing up the opposition, you know, with the bat flips and things, but you know. I think it's just it's different. Just, it's a part of the game. It's appealing to the young people. It is. We want baseball to be more hip. So you can't, you know, you can't take all that stuff out. You know, you got to market these players and their individuality. Yeah. And, but, uh, you know, some of it, and thanks to call Mac, is a, it's just a cultural difference in that, you know, if, you know, if I hit a home run off, uh, you know, a pitcher and I make a big show of it, you know, and I don't do that ordinarily. Like that's pretty easy for a pitcher to know. Hey, I'm looking to show him up. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it at him. But if, if that's what you do all the time, and that's you know, normal where you grew up playing baseball, it's hard to all of a sudden join Major League Baseball and, and change all those habits and, and totally adjust. And I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying it shouldn't have to. Uh, for instance. You know, look at Japan. Great story. I highly recommend it on ESPN.com. Yesterday, I'm sure it's still there today, uh, on Ichiro Suzuki and how Ichiro uh, was made in a lot of ways by his father. His father had very rigid drills that uh, he'd put Ichiro through as a boy every single day. 365 days a year, he was taking X amount of swings, he was doing X amount of this drill, and it's exactly... You know, what has made Ichiro such a great baseball player, but it's also something that Ichiro has said bordered on child abuse, and he doesn't talk to his dad any longer. But those habits are so ingrained in him that even as a professional, he still kind of has the same regimented schedule. But that's part of, you know, Japanese culture, and they work at baseball. It's a winter sport there. In terms of, you know, there's no days off. There's no real off season. It's about how hard can you work, how many ground balls can you take, and um, you know the practice they have there. When the American players go over to Japan, they can't keep up with the Japanese teams because they're having like nine hour practices. I mean, you talk about drilling in the fundamentals. It's all they do because you know the training's supposed to be hard and you know samurai culture to some degree, and. The American players, when they go over there, often are given a different set of rules because they they understand that it's different cultures, and you know the American players, usually the talented guys that are going over there, so they you know placate to them a little bit. But I wouldn't think that destroys you know any of the team building or or becomes you know in, entirely problematic. They're different cultures, and you got to accept uh, some of that when you know you have a, a melting pot like baseball. And, and think about Cespedes too. I mean, coming over from Cuba, you had the 
you know, fight for his, his freedom, escape, you know, the island. And, um, you know, it's an island where you can't express yourself freely. You have a, you know, a communist regime and a, a dictator at the top. And, and you come here and you have freedom. You can drive nice cars. You can, you know, have a little bit of fun. And that's got to be something that you, you take into uh, account uh, as well. Uh, when uh, when looking at those things, but uh, again, eight hundred three two one zero seven ten. The number to get involved eight hundred three two one zero seven ten. We've talked quite a bit uh, this spring about the first base position, and I, I think it looks problematic. You know, we, we talked about catcher as well. I feel pretty good about Kevin Ploiecki at first base, though. I don't have anybody that I feel great about. You know, Dom Smith shows up late, early on, is injured. He's on the way back. He should be back relatively soon. But you don't have a whole lot of confidence that he's going to be the guy who takes over at first base. And he, I think, ruined a pretty good opportunity that he had at the outset of spring. Adrian Gonzalez uh, has not come around in, in the way that you'd love to see, that you'd feel great about, considering the kind of rough year that, that he had last season. The Mets have a lot of other kind of options in Wilmer Flores and Jay Bruce, but clearly you know, that's not all part of Plan A. And Gonzalez, he's going to be Plan A, and it certainly seems like he's going to get an opportunity uh, come opening day to be the Mets' first baseman, and here's you know Gonzalez today on, on how he's preparing and where he's at this spring. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, for me, it's about timing, rhythm. You know, I've been staying in, in a lot of games a lot more than the rest of the guys because I want to get that third and that fourth at bat so I can, uh, you know, do me- mechanical hit, you know, glitches here and there. And, you know, I didn't get a lot, a lot of at bats last year. So I feel like, you know, coming first few at bats in the spring, I was coming off balls a little bit. Uh, been working on staying on balls better. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like those first two at bats, I'm a little jumpy. So third and fourth at bat, I've been able to make some good adjustments. And, uh, you know, slowly it's coming along, and uh, you know, last few games I, I always come out with a positive, you know, uh, mindset. Today, walk and a hit to end, end, end the day, and uh, you know, when, when I get that third and fourth at bat, it feels like uh, I get more and more comfortable. So uh, it's it's been a good spring so far. I've, I've, I've been able to continue to work and continue to uh, get to the point where I want to be, and you know, it's 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 one step at a time. And uh, right now, it's, uh, it's it's getting better every day. So you know, I'm excited about where everything's going. Yeah, you know, the good news for Gonzalez, you know, he had a hit, a walk today. He's got the average up over 200. The bad news, he missed the bus. Uh, so that was, uh, that was bad. But, uh, for Adrian Gonzalez, uh, you know, you just want to see some kind of glimmer of the player he was a couple of years ago. And to me, I want to see some pop from him this spring. And it's nice. He's been able to go opposite field. He's had some base hits in recent days. So he's stamping up a little bit offensively. I'd like to see, you know, the doubles power, some home run power from Gonzalez. Last year he had three home runs and 250 plate appearances. You cannot play first base every day in 2018 and hit a home run once every 100 at-bats. I'm sorry. You cannot carry that around. There's a lot of other things you could do. You can hit 320. If you can't hit for any power... You can't be playing there. So you want to see a little bit of that from Gonzalez. He's been a power guy in the past. We had Ron Darling of SNY on the other day. He still thinks that Gonzalez can go out, be a 25-plus home run guy, 85-plus RBI guy. But if there's one position I was worried about, it would be it would be that. And I know we had a caller earlier saying the Mets should be looking into Greg Holland and, and trying to improve the bullpen. Uh, Greg Holland helps out your bullpen. I'm not going to say he doesn't, but if I'm looking at the Mets as still having a need to look into, they probably have two right now, a left-hander in the bullpen 
and at first base. If I could improve that position, if I were the Mets, I would look to do that. And who knows, they made some kind of promise to Adrian Gonzalez or you know, kind of made a handshake agreement of how many at-bats he would get before they didn't give him an opportunity. But best guys make the roster. Best guys in that opening day lineup. And Neil Walker is still looking for a job, and he could play some first base. I think he's a better offensive player right now than Adrian Gonzalez. And I know some Mets fans you know, roll their eyes because Walker hasn't been healthy in recent years, but you're comparing him to Adrian Gonzalez, who had back problems last year, and they're both guys you can't trust 100%, but at least Neil Walker's been a more productive offensive player more recently and is about four or five years younger than Gonzalez. Well, I'd rather take a chance with him. I think he's got more upside than what you have in Gonzalez. So that's a position of our in the Mets. I've been looking at very carefully, and I think you know these next few days and maybe next week, you know, Gonzalez is going to have to show a little bit of that. I want to see some pop still. So he's gotten the average up a little bit. He's hitting a little better, but I want to see some pop from him. And that you know, he's not going to be a two sixty hitter who doesn't drive in any runs. You know, batting probably in the middle of the lineup. We've gotten like fifth for the Mets this year at first base. I think you do need a little bit of pop uh, from that position. 800-321-0710. The number, again, 800-321-0710. Uh, get involved on Twitter as well, at PDMACWOR. Mark Gastineau coming up at 8.05. Uh, very emotional interview. It's, it's actually hard to tease it uh, every time going into break because you start thinking about uh, what he said and talked about and is experiencing uh, with the, the health issues he is having stemming from his NFL career and uh, now you know a fight with the NFL along with many other retired players. They won a settlement about a year and a half ago. And, and, you know, years ago before that, uh, and still these players have not been approved with the, the disabilities and the problems that they have. And you'll get the rundown from Mark, his lawyer, his wife on his story. And it's a story that, you know, many other retired football players, you know, guys you, you might have grown up watching and that, you know, helped pave the way in the NFL are are suffering with as well. And Mark decided to come forward, put his name, put his face on it, and we'll have that for you at 8.05. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. All right, grab some calls here at 800 Let's go to Ray in Waterbury. How are we doing tonight, Ray? Good, Pete. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? couple of things, Pete. First of all, I don't want to see Robles and uh, Montero anymore. I don't care if Montero has any options left or not. Who cares? I mean, it's the same old stuff. Nibbles, behind the hitters, and, and I'm tired of Robles giving up home runs. No, I think both those guys, they have to be on short leashes. They certainly are with the fan base because we've seen it you know, time and again, the, the same issues from those two. And uh, Montero, I, I think we've seen enough of them over the years. Robles at the very least, he's a guy who could put together three weeks where he doesn't give up a run, and then he has that miserable week. Um, you know, being a a, a a late guy in the pen, you know, he's not going to be one of the big four. I, I can live with that uh, for uh, for now. But yes, uh, I I understand the 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 growing angst with those two, especially Montero. And Montero makes the team just because he doesn't have options. That will drive me nuts. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And one other thing, you're right on on this first base situation with Gonzalez. He's got to, I give him one week to show some pop. Otherwise, I look around at some free agents that's still out there like like Walker, you yeah. know? 
Walker is one. Uh, Moustakas is an option as well, and you could theoretically move Todd Frazier to first base. You know, it's a lot of moving parts, but you know, these are the kind of things that would be uh, an option. Now, one of the reasons the Mets you know, don't want to get in on Moustakas, and I believe Holland fits into this as well, but I'm not 100. percent Is that they, you know, got qualifying offers, so it costs you. Uh, a draft pick, though it's a second round pick. To me, it's not the end of the world. And, uh, you know, the more important thing is the international bonus money, which is used to, you know, sign the players in, in Latin America. And, you know, you lose a chunk of that money. That could make a big difference where, you know, there's not much to, to separate you from other teams besides, you know, what you can offer financially. Uh, but listen, where the Mets are in terms of their window and opportunity to win, is an area where I think they should be aggressive right now. It's not about building the farm system. We're not looking five years out with this Mets team. I think you're looking, you know, near term and, you know, getting this thing, you know, over the, over the hump. I don't see them pulling that off this year, but, you know, you'd hope in the near future there's a team ready to win. And that's something that they got to, you know, try to square away, uh, here over the course of, uh, of this season. So, um, you know, first base is a need to me, and, and Neil Walker doesn't cost you anything. Neil Walker, he, he, the only offer that I know of that he's received this offseason was a minor league offer from the Kansas City Royals. I'm for a minor league deal. And, and Walker, while he missed time last year, he had a pretty good season. When he went to Milwaukee, he really hit well over there. And considering he's coming off back surgery, he did okay. He didn't have the same range at second base, but offensively, he can be productive. So uh, if he can play some first base, if he's willing to do that, he's, he's done it you know, at times in the past, get get the best guy possible. And I wouldn't be worried about you know a handshake agreement or, or you know, anything with Adrian Gonzalez. Best guy plays. That's what this sport is supposed to be. Uh, 800-321-0710, the number to get involved. Uh, Aaron Judge, by the way, uh, told you know, the, the uh, Ryan Rucco, CC Sabathia podcast that uh, he's not looking to partake in the home run derby again. Win and done uh, what he did last year. He still won't confirm or deny, really, uh, whether the shoulder injury suffered last year had something to do with taking part in the home run derby. Uh, but, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, the home run derby, while if you love baseball and can watch it day in and day out, you know, it might be a, a silly sideshow, but for the vast majority of sports fans they're not watching baseball day in and day out and the home run derby is something a little different to break the monotony through a long season and uh you know give them a window into the game and if you're major league baseball you want your best players your most marketable players to take part in that event and it is uh bad for baseball that aaron judge doesn't take part it's bad when bryce harper doesn't take part in that event just as you know, the slam dunk contest in the NBA, it's bad when, you know, it's not Michael Jordan versus Dominic Wilkins and you don't see the best players and you're getting guys that you never heard of that, you know, might be able to take your breath away with a dunk, but then they go back to being the 10th man on the Minnesota Timberwolves and they don't matter. And it's not going to make you watch a whole lot of basketball. And that, that's what the Derby is really about. It's about. You know, marketing the best of your sport and getting, you know, some casual fans interested. And, you know, that's where I, I think it's rough. Now, you know, if the Yankees are, 
you know, up 10 games in the division or, or they're in a great spot for the playoffs and, and he doesn't want to, you know, risk physically doing something, I might be able to live with that a little bit. But to say before the season even begins, no, not going to do it. Come on. And, you know, for, you know, let's say the Yankees have a terrible year and it's a mess. You're not worried about the postseason. Go out and have fun in the Derby. Like, it wasn't fun last year. And I've always thought, and we don't know for sure whether Judge got hurt or not, but I've always thought the the home run derby hangover was a little overrated. And I studied this a couple of years back and looked at you know the home run derby winners, compare their first half to their second half, and, and how many home runs they had. There wasn't much of a difference. And the difference that you do find, it's a little bit, that's going to be because guys that are in the home run derby are the guys that had great first halves. They're guys that you know played above what they are. That's how you end up in the All Star game. That's how you end up in the home run derby. Not for everybody, for a lot of these guys. But you don't see dramatic drop offs for the most part. You just have isolated incidents like Bobby Abreu uh, when he went in two thousand five, and you know, and then he didn't do much power wise in the second half of the year. But come on, it's not that big a deal for these guys. And at least play it out and make the decision middle of the season, not not before the season even begins. Uh, coming up at 8.05, Mark Gastineau uh, once held the sack record in the NFL, now dealing with Alzheimer's, uh, Parkinson's disease, dementia. But the NFL, they're not buying it, or at the very least not allowing him in on that concussion sentiment. And this is happening for a lot of NFL players.